Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there. Classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com, enroll, and get a real history education. You can't listen to these 11 songs anymore. Why? Well, because it shows that you're a racist. I'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. Support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. You've already heard about that, but... You can also click on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com, throw a few pennies my way, or you can click on the super thanks button under this video if you're watching on YouTube, or you can go to Spotify for podcasters and become a member there. All those are great ways to support the show. You want, I, I need some financial support, but you can also do some things that are painless, like rate reviewing and subscribing to the podcast. You can let people know you love it. Give it that five-star review wherever you get your podcast. Leave a text review wherever you can, including commenting on YouTube for the algorithm. And as always, share this podcast around on social media and send me those show requests. I do want to read what you want to hear. All right, well, let's talk about the topic. This is from the Reader's Digest. Now, this was sent to me by uh, somebody that I know, and and uh, in a not just me, but other people as well. But this piece caught my eye for a couple of reasons. One... If you know me, you know I love music, and so this was funny to me that there are now songs that are considered so offensive, you should not listen to them. And at least one of the songs on the list is uh, not necessarily surprising for me, but you might be surprised by it. But I think it shows some real issues in American society. And it shows really where things are going. I've talked about this, uh, this idea of the political Puritans on this particular podcast. And there's a type of ideology in America that goes all the way back to the 17th century New England, the Puritan ideology, what later became known as Yankeeism. And really that's what this is. If you aren't sufficiently in line with these people and how they think about culture, society, you haven't been purified enough. You see at the core, wokeism and cancel culture is another form of Puritanism. The Puritans, of course, were seeking to purify the church from all the Catholic ceremony. They didn't think that it was Christian enough. It didn't follow the Bible enough. It wasn't in line with this very basic view of the church. Stripped down to its core teachings, they thought Catholic ideology had gone too far in the direction of idolatry and other things. So they wanted to strip away all that stuff and bring it back to the real Christian church. And so you see your congregationalist denominations and these very you know, uh, democratic, quote-unquote, denominations. This is what they've done 
overall. They've stripped out a lot of the Catholic ceremony and um, dogma from the church, and they've made it much more uh, basic, right? I mean, the Puritans believe in a much more basic church. You go to a Puritan church or a Congregationalist church, and uh, instead of a, a ceremonial altar with all the pomp and circumstance, it's very plain. I mean, that's, that's the idea. The Puritans were plain. And, of course, you take that to its natural extension, you get to things like the, the, uh, the Mennonites and the Amish, um, and they've made it even more plain. So you have these very stripped-down churches. That, in, in a way, is the origins of cancel culture. And the Puritans, of course, dominated New England, and eventually this, uh, this type of religious fervor found its way into the South, uh, and so you have a, a lot of this in southern churches, right? So, and I'm not, I'm not criticizing this. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not criticizing these things. I'm just saying this is how this worked. So you have this now, this type of view in American politics. Remember the Puritans, even in, in England, I mean, when you had the Puritans in the Cromwellian era, were canceling Christmas. They were canceling plays. They were canceling dancing. Why? because those things were not sufficiently Christian enough. They could lead to all kinds of bad things. And so this idea of cancel culture is nothing new. The Puritans were doing it back in the 17th century. They were doing it not only in England, but also here in the British North American colonies in the 17th century. And so canceling things became a way of life for the Puritans. Now in the South, you didn't see as much of that. Right, the South still you know, eat, drink, and be merry. This is why you know, Charles II was known as the Merry Monarch, because he brought all that stuff back. Even if they weren't Catholic, even, but of course there were whispers that Charles was secretly Catholic. We know James II was Catholic, which is why he was opposed. And you had the Glorious Revolution and the, uh, the assumption of William and Mary to the throne. But uh, we have this idea that we need to bring back some of these things that the Puritans canceled. There was a backlash, essentially, again, to cancel culture in the 17th century. The English weren't going to have any more of it after several years of this. And I'm not so certain this isn't going to happen in America as well and around the West. There's going to be a backlash to this stuff. People are going to say, you know, this is just ridiculously stupid. Because that's what it is. I mean, it's ridiculously stupid. What this is about is power. These people want you to speak and live on their terms. Now, there's also a certain part of hilarity to this because the person that writes this, Jeremy Helliger, he's a guy that writes things like a conversation with Thomas Jefferson, white supremacist, and um, you know um, how he has how Trump people are all about politics and all this kind of stuff. This is he he's got TDS on the brain at all times. He sees the world through a very puritanical lens. It has to be his way or the highway. It's about power. It's about power. They want you to speak the way they want you to speak. They want you to listen to the things they want you to listen to. You dress the way they want you to dress. Act the way they want you to act in public. It's about power. And if you don't do that, if you're not sufficiently Puritan enough in these ways, well then, well, you can be ostracized. Even leftists. And almost everyone on this list is a leftist would have been considered a leftist just you know, 20 or 30 years ago, but now they're not sufficiently Puritan enough. So they have been ostracized from the temple, the cathedral of, of, uh, of wokeism because they don't fit the bill. Now, some of these people would probably repent 
and say, well, gosh, you know, back uh, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, well, certainly, I uh, was not sufficiently Puritan enough. I was not sufficiently woke enough. And now I've repented and I've come to the temple to seek forgiveness, the cathedral to seek forgiveness from the high priests of wokeism. And please absolve me of my sins for saying these things that uh, were just bad things. They weren't bad when I said them, but they're bad now. It's funny how these things work. And I'm sure some of the people would do this. They would say, well, yeah, we can't, we can't ever do that. We can't ever play that song. We can't do these things. Now, again, all these people... Uh, I would say, for the, again, maybe uh, 10 of the 11 are leftists. Well, they would have been leftists. The only one that wouldn't have been is the classic version in the, in the piece that I'll get to. Maybe one or two others might be considered a little more conservative. But this is the kind of stuff that we're getting out of the Church of Wokeism, the Church of Cancel Culture. It is a religion. It's a political religion. You have the political Puritans like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. It is a political religion. You have to be sufficiently in line with what they're doing. Now, Sanders and Warren are... Uh, Sanders is... I mean, he's standard leftist. He's a standard communist. Warren uh, also... But, I mean, she's kind of just goofy, right? But Cortez is a true believer, She's a true believer, even though her own constituents call her out for not being sufficiently woke enough at times, too. But she certainly is a true believer in it. And same thing with most of the squad there in Congress. These far-left progressives who are in the House. They're true believers. They're younger. So they are the priestesses of, uh, of uh, wokeism. And um, I think that we're going to see more and more of this. You know, uh, Hakeem Jeffries is a true believer. He really is a wokist. These people have a religion. In some cases, it's worshiping uh, the environment and the green uh, ideology. In other cases, it's cancel culture. But these people really do believe this stuff. Now, Warren, of course, is responsible for the naming commission. And same thing with Pelosi and others. But they're responsible for that, uh, which, of course, is a joke as well, as I pointed out in the last episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. But let's get into this piece by Jeremy Hellinger and talk about the songs that he thinks you should not be listening to any longer. Again, this is in the Reader's Digest. The Reader's Digest. Now, Hellinger has written for all kinds of popular magazines. He spent a lot of time overseas. Um, it's, um, I mean, he's, he, again, he's standard, uh, boilerplate, woke, social justice, cancel culture, priest. The title of this piece is 11 Popular Songs You Didn't Realize Are Actually Racist. He says they're catchy and offensive. He says putting words to music can lead to immorality. Now think about that phrase. Putting words to music can lead to immorality. Now, who else would say that? That phrase is telling. Who else would say that? Well, the Puritans would say things like this. It's why they canceled dancing. It's why they essentially canceled any kind of popular music. It wasn't allowed because it could lead to immorality. Dancing could lead to all kinds of things that you shouldn't be doing. That's why we don't need these things. You see, these kind of things are immoral. And the thought police, the cancel warriors, the high priests of wokeism are going to come in and tell you what songs you shouldn't listen to. Again, think about the first line. This is a religion. This is a religion to these people. 
Unfortunately, not all sentiments expressed in songs deserve to live forever. You see, they aren't sufficiently woke enough. They don't deserve. They deserve to be canceled. They deserve to be eliminated. They deserve to be burned. Burn your worldly goods. Burn your worldly things. These things don't deserve to exist any longer. Your monuments, your songs, your literature. Now, of course, the right is often criticized now for wanting to burn books and do all these things, but the left has been more interested in canceling things for a long period of time, going back to the French Revolution, going back... Really, I mean, again, you look at the Puritans. They were certainly reformers of the 17th century in England. They were the reformers. And they wanted to get rid of what was considered to be traditional in English society. It had to go. It had to be canceled. It had to be eliminated. Now, Cromwell himself wasn't necessarily on board with all of this, but the, the true believers of the Puritan Revolution believed it. And they wanted to do it. And they did it. Canceling Christmas was a big thing. You see, celebrating uh, you know, this, uh, this idea of giving gifts and being merry at Christmas... No, no, no. That's not sufficiently Christian enough. Systemic racism has been known to work itself into music with, via lyrics that promote unflattering racial stereotypes and uphold the ideas of white supremacy by othering blacks, Asians, Latino, Muslims, Native Americans, and various other historically marginalized groups. Right? So uh, the problem is these songs are systemically racist. In evaluating a tune's capacity to offend, it's important to differentiate, differentiate between neutral cultural reference, the Bengals' 1980s hit Walk Like an Egyptian, a nod to the stately poses in Egyptian mythological art, not living, breathing Egyptians, and cultural devaluation wrought by racism. So see, that song is okay because it's just simply talking about a stately pose. The Bengals' hit is okay. But these other ones, no, because they have uh, cultural devaluation. So we're going to go through, and now we're going to start picking this stuff out. Now, back in the 80s, remember, if you remember this, Al Gore and Tipper Gore wanted to put those parental advisory labels on, on albums because they thought these things were racist and you had, or, or nasty and, of course, culturally offensive and all these things. Not necessarily racism at the time. But you had people like Frank Zappa and others you know, saying, this is stupid, right? These are just words. What are we doing here? Um, but there was a backlash from the left over this kind of stuff. Tipper and Al Gore were seen as these you know, cultural conservatives. This was conservatism to cancel and censor things. Now the left has gotten on board with this because, well, these high priests of wokeism think that you need to be told what you can and can't listen to. And if you don't do it, well, then you're not sufficiently woke enough and you're not going to be accepted into the temple of wokeism. There's plenty of the latter group going around, and it might be playing on a radio near you right now. So if that's the case, well, then you need to turn that, turn that station off. Or, more importantly, contact your radio station and tell them not to play these songs anymore because they're not woke enough. Here are some popular offenders you may not have realized were problematic. You don't realize it, but you're being... You're listening to these things, you're supporting these things and these songs, and not just that, you're supporting uh, the, uh, the her heresy of, uh, against uh, wokeism. I mean, you are a heretic if you're listening to these tunes. If you like these tunes, you cannot be in the church of wokeism. 
Once you're up to speed, find out which everyday expressions are racist as well. So you know, which everyday expressions you shouldn't be saying. So see, you can't say these things. You can't listen to these things. You can't read these things. You can't wear these things. You can't do these things. This is all Puritanism. It's just another form of Puritanism in a secular environment. Wokeism. So some of these songs I find to be just absolutely, I mean, picking them out is funny. The first one is Brown Sugar by the Rolling Stones, right? You can't like that song because it's about slavery. And then you see some of the quotes that he gave. He said, it sounds like something out of a dystopian horror film or a tale of the 19th century era evil. Music producer Ira Brennan wrote in the Chicago Tribune in 2019. For anyone remaining an apologist for the greatest rock and roll band in the world, I challenge you to speak the lyrics to Brown Sugar in its entirety, aloud and irony-free before a diverse group of strangers. Go ahead, I dare you. So you can't like that tune anymore. I mean, the uh, the Rolling Stones, which have never been confused for being some kind of conservative, you know, <laughs> conservative group. I mean, Mick Jagger, Keith Richards. Come on. Uh, these people were, you know, pariahs in the 60s, any conservatives in the late 60s and early 70s. They hated them. But yet, Brown Sugar is a bad song. So you can't listen to that one. And if you want to get more information on how to be sufficiently woken up, you should, uh, you should definitely read these 15 essential books for understanding race relations. So get your Bible, get your literature in check. Take these things off your radio, burn these records, don't say these words, and read these 15, 15 essential books. China Girl by David Bowie. This is no ordinary love song, Hellinger says, but then few would expect normal from a hit written by David Bowie and Iggy Pop. The video for the 1983 single, which featured Bowie and the object of his affection nude on a beach at the end, was censored for television viewing. But the most objectionable part of the song about an interracial romance is to its is its casual reference to white privilege and colonialism in the line about stumbling into town just like a scared, sacred cow, visions of swastikas in my head, plans for everyone, as well as the one that goes, I'll give you television if you, if I'll give you eyes of blue if you give, I'll give you a man who wants to rule the world. So the problem is it's colonialism. You've got this guy stumbling into town and finding his China girl. He's this white supremacist who... Uh, fall, stumbles into an interracial romance. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean he says that Bowie, who was married to Somalian supermodel Iman for nearly a quarter century, is racist. However, this doesn't mean he's racist, you see. It doesn't mean that. But he's not sufficiently woke enough by singing this song. And, uh, and even Iggy Pop said this wasn't about anything like this. It was about heroin which, of course, is awful. I mean, the whole point, I mean, this, this song, first of all, it's, it's an awful song. It's a terrible song. But if you're listening to it because of the, uh, the way that you could perceive the song, well, then it has to go. And then he says casual racism is also a problem if you're casually racist. These 20-day, everyday acts of racism don't get talked about enough. You need to learn these things, too. So you're creating a, a church. A church. These are the dogma. These are the things you need to know. This is how you cleanse yourself from these things. Ahab the Arab by Ray Stevens. And that's how he would have said it. Arab. Right? And that's even saying it like that is racist. Now, I went out and looked at the YouTube video for this. 
Uh, and all these songs, I mean, if you've never heard them before, you can go out and listen to them on YouTube. But I went out, and there was a, a comment from someone who was uh, living in the Middle East. I believe he was in the Middle East, or he was, you know, uh, an American of this uh, of this uh, origin, this background. And he said he thought the song was funny. The whole point of the song was to be funny. You see, you can't have comedy or anything, you know, humor anymore because that's offensive. The whole point of comedy is offend. It is to offend. I mean, that's it's to make fun of something. And if you're not a Yankee thin-skinned, well, then you can make fun of things. You know, Southerners have been making fun of themselves for years. But they're the only group now that can be made fun of. This 1962 top 10 hit by the man who would achieve a gold number one 12 years later with The Streak is a novelty song packed with stereotypes about uh, Arab people. Stevens even pronounced Arab so it rhymes with Ahab, giving it distinctly redneck air. The pronunciation of Arab as Arab is derogatory. Ferris Buhafa, spokesperson for the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee, told the Washington Post in 1987. <laughs> so the way you say it, is even offensive. Uh, I'll tell you what else. Uh, I was actually I was giving a lecture one time, and I said um, uh, Iraq as Iraq. That's how I said it. And I had a student say, "You can't say it that way. That's offensive. It's Iraq." And um, so the way that you say these words, I mean, the cancel culture warriors will make sure that you have to pronounce the words correctly in order to uh, to be sufficiently woke enough. Right? But of course, if this is a problem, you can learn the psychology of how we learn prejudice. Also, he links to that. Illegal Alien by Genesis. Now, who knew that Phil Collins in Genesis was uh, you know, some type of raging racist? This 1984 single was supposed to be comical. But the fact that it exists at all proves that undervaluing Mexicans has been an American theme for decades. So it's supposed to be funny. Well, you can't have comedy anymore because you're making fun of something. Again, think about what's happening here. This is canceling things that, uh, you know, that need, that at one time were just considered to be funny and people would laugh at. But you know what you need to do? You need to tell, teach your children to address these issues. So he says, it's no wonder, as uh, Haydn suggested, classic rock radio will hardly touch the modest chart hit in these more politically aware times. More, no, 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 these more Puritan times, right? You can't play these songs now because it's not politically aware, it's Puritan. But politically aware, what does that mean? Well, the church has come out. The church of wokeism has come out and cancel culture and political correctness and all this has come out and said these things. Island Girl by Elton John. Elton John, who's never at one time been considered to be anything but a leftist. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. But of course, Island Girl is um, uh, its not woke enough because it has lyrics like a white man's world um, and things like that. Even Michael Cormier was uh, said on the Am I Right website, this song reeks of racism. Kind of makes you wonder if Elton's lyricist Bernie Taupin had any any unresolved race issues when he wrote the words of this song. By the way, this is why you should stop saying, I don't see color. You should stop that. Now, here's one that was uh, interesting, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. This one has been on the radar of uh, the 
the North and cancel culture and Yankees for a long time. Of course, this is a 1969 classic. It was first produced, uh, performed by the band and then later Joan Baez. And that went to number three on the Billboard Hot 100. Uh, but the problem with it is that's dripping with Confederate sympathy. Now, um, I, I find that fascinating. Of course, this is, you know, this is something that people had talked about for a long time. Uh, this song was too Confederate, to, too sympathetic, and actually in certain parts changed the lyrics. I think Baez changed the lyrics a little bit uh, in her version of it. Uh, but you can't sing a song that might be too sympathetic with Southerners in the Confederacy and uh, that kind of environment. So this song has really been canceled now over the years. Nobody really plays this anymore. Um, but of course, if that's if you need to know more, then you should read why Juneteenth is an important holiday and why you should celebrate it. This one I found fascinating. Right here, right now by Jesus Jones. Back in the 90s, this was a huge hit, 1991. These are the Brits. And this is a racist song because they put down Tracy Chapman in the song. So uh, the song is actually progressive. It's a leftist song. But because they put down Tracy Chapman, well, you can't listen to this one anymore. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. But this song sums up, he says, why Black History Month shouldn't be just a single month. I mean, see, what he's doing here is throwing in these little things, these little links, these little... Become more woke. Become more into the religion. Get more into the religion because this is what we need to do. Now, this is the one that I that I, I really think is uh, hilarious. The Star-Spangled Banner. I want to talk about this, the two paragraphs that he puts uh, in this particular piece. And it works with the one two before, the night they drove old Dixie down and Juneteenth. It works with that. So he says, America's national anthem is actually longer than the version we hear at sporting events like the Super Bowl. Written in 1814 by Francis Scott Key, a slave owner, as the poem... Defense of Fort McHenry, it included the following line, No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. Yes, the song that was written to acknowledge the power of the U.S. military during the War of 1812 also reinforced the power of white people over black people in the days of slavery. Imagine Lady Gaga or Demi Lovato singing that part at the Super Bowl. So this song is bad because of that. There's also the phrase, the land of the free. Jamila Nasheed wrote in Teen Vogue. Key wrote the poem that would eventually become the national anthem in 1814 during a time when black Americans were not free. Slavery ended in 1865, making it even clearer that this anthem was written to celebrate the land of the free white Americans. Now, I found this fascinating because... You look at Maryland, My Maryland, which of course was canceled as the Maryland state song. You look at all these... You know, old state songs, and many of them are being canceled because of references in the songs to lines that people don't like, or you know whatever the case may be. But this one, this shows you what the real intent of wokeism and cancel culture is. In fact, he says there's a reason why many Black Americans don't support Fourth of July. Why they don't celebrate it? Now, there's Southerners didn't support it in Mississippi for years because that's when the Union just unceremoniously shelled Vicksburg and kept killing people, black and white, civilians. But um, there's, there's, this is why you know, black Americans don't celebrate, because 
I mean, not just of this, but other reasons as well. But really, the undertones. I mean, this wasn't about independence. It wasn't about liberty. It wasn't about freedom. It was about freedom for white Americans. But that's it. That's all it was about. This is you know kind of the the 1619 project. Uh, it's still built on the proposition nation myth because well. Um, this didn't fulfill what they said it would do. This is why black Americans don't celebrate the 4th of July, because they didn't achieve what they said the American War for Independence was about. But of course, Francis Scott Key, writing this after the you know, many years after that war was over, the War of 1812, as a, uh, uh, as a uh, acknowledge the power of the U.S. military. Now, it was about, I mean, not just the power of the U.S. military. It was about uh, independence from the British again. I mean, this is what they're... What, what he was referencing. The flag was still flying. The, re, the, the, uh, the, uh, the courage and honor that these men faced, even though they were, they were uh, suffering you know, terrible bombardment. The resolution in Americans to stand up to the British. That's what it was about. But again, this song should be canceled. You shouldn't sing this song anymore. Shouldn't sing the Star Spangled Banner. It's a it's a bad song. Other ones like Turning Japanese by the Vapors or Without a Song by um, I mean that's been sung by a whole lot of people. And Your Squaw is on the Warpath by Loretta Lynn. Now Loretta Lynn, of course, country music singer, maybe one of the ones that uh, would be a little more to the right. But also people like uh, Cher and Tim McGraw. I mean they they sing songs like this too. But of course they're all on the left. Loretta Lynn is really on the left. I mean, she's, she's, you know, Tim McGraw voted for Obama. He sang at Biden's inauguration, but you can't sing these songs that they had because, well, um, these are uh, songs that are just too offensive. And of course, if you want more, there's an important Reader's Digest issue on the fight against racism. Um, so I, I found this piece fascinating because of that, that, uh, the way that it's phrased, I mean, this has become a real religion. It's become a real church for these people. There's a dogma to it. There are there are essential books. There's essential phrases. Uh, the the way that he phrased the first line, putting words into music can lead to immorality. It's immoral to listen to these to these songs, just like the Puritans would have phrased it back in the 17th century. You see. So this is I mean this illustrates where we are with wokeism. In America, it's about power, it's about control, and it's about making you do things that they think, or not do things that they think, are sufficiently, uh, you know, not or doing things that are uh, not do things they think are too bad, immoral is the word they use, or do things that they think would lead to the worship of their particular cathedral, their church, their religion. It's a political religion, it's a secular religion, but it's a religion nevertheless. And it has its own dogma and language and sacred texts. It has it all. And it has its heretics. And you need to repent if you've done any of these things. All right. See you tomorrow on the Brian McClaney Show. See you then.